The reading this morning is taken from 1 John 1, starting at verse 5 and reading through to verse 2 of chapter 2. It's on 1225 of the Church Bibles. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light and as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we have to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for all our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely uh, to see you. It can be hard at times to know what is a truth and what is a lie. In any given week, as you follow the news, let alone in your own life, and it can be difficult to discern what is a truth and what is a lie. Fake news has become part of the vocabulary, thanks to Donald Trump. Uh, What began as a way of describing misinformation seemingly overnight was co-opted to mean Any news he simply didn't like or any news he didn't want his followers to hear. And it proved incredibly effective. The independent newspaper reported that over uh, his term in office, Donald Trump used the term fake news 2,000 times. 2,000 times. That's more than once a day for his four years in office. Helping the public's trust in the media to fall to an all-time low during his presidency. Now, after being permanently banned by Twitter, the former president in February this year launched a new social media app called Truth Social, which I think is quite ironic. But sadly, it hasn't been the roaring success that he's wanted it to be. But apparently, Elon Musk, who now owns Twitter, said that he would let Donald Trump back on the social media platform if he wanted. Uh, For his part, though, Trump has said that he wouldn't rejoin Twitter if given the opportunity. A claim, however... And this is true, I can't believe it. Even his closest advisors are telling people not to believe. His, his advisors are telling people not to believe him. The term fake news is now part of our everyday and is used by politicians all over the world. Now as a short refrain to say, don't believe that, trust me. And we're falling levels of trust with the media and politicians. Any political speech or any debate or any major address now as fact-checkers who check to see what was claimed was right. Will it be as many jobs as they claim it would be? But, in fact, that's not enough now. We've got to have fact-checkers to check the fact-checkers to see if the facts that they're checking are indeed facts or not. And it can be bewildering to know what really is the truth. In the political world, we've recently had the Partygate and Sleazegate. In the World of Celebrity, we've had Slapgate, where Will Smith walks up to the uh, up on stage in the Oscars and slaps comedian Chris Rock in the face. Or in the world of sport, we've had Fake Gate, where we found ourselves talking more about the chaotic scenes outside of the Stade de France on last Saturday, rather than the scenes actually within it, as Real Madrid won their 14th Champions League title. Now, in all these cases, 
This had to be full, independent investigations of the evidence to try and determine what is the truth behind Partygate, Sleazegate, and Fakegate. But sadly, the world of Christianity and the church is not safe from fake news either. And so it means that each claim needs to be carefully weighed up by its facts. And some, some false claims we can fall into innocently, but there are other, others that are far more serious, like those claims that strike at the very heart of the gospel. And really, we shouldn't be surprised that this happens. After all, the evil one is the father of all lies. That's why Jesus says in the Gospel of John that, you, that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the enemy's goal in this world is to spread lies so that we believe them, so we get bondage to them. Lies about ourselves, lies about our world, lies about his words. And we find in our passage this morning fake news. Three false claims, three lies which threaten the very heart and foundation of the gospel. And so if you put your Bibles down, then please pick them up. This is the time to do that. We're in John, 1 John chapter 1 together this morning. Now last week, we looked at the fact that it can really feel really unsettling being in the minority. But it's even more unsettling when those in the minority move away. And in the prologue of the letter, we find that despite us receiving the overall purpose of the letter in chapter 5, verse 13, at the end of the letter, that he writes to them, so you can have confidence and assurance as believers. We found in chapter 1, verse 3 last week, the other purpose John was writing, and that was to promote authentic and joyful fellowship with the Father. You remember that the problem that has arisen in the church is that some have left the congregation because they're claiming to be superior. They claim to have real power over sin, fake news. They claim to have knowledge of God that those left behind haven't received fake news. They've claimed to have victory over evil that those left behind don't, fake news. This has been extremely unsettling for the church. And inevitably, some are wondering whether they should have listened to them and that they should have gone with them. And so John is right into a very discouraged group of Christians Faced with these problems where the beliefs and behaviours of those that have left start to resemble more closely the fashions, philosophies and lifestyles of the world around them. Rather than those consistent with the historic gospel of Jesus Christ. Which makes this letter a really contemporary letter to look at. And one of the benefits of this letter is that it measures up people not by how compelling they look in our celebrity pastor world. But where they do these three things that are matched to the three themes of the letter. Do they stay with the teaching of the apostle, truth? What, do, they, do they do what God commands, light, obey? Do they love one another, love? Well, the aim last week was to help reassure you and me to stick with the apostolic teaching because it brings eternal life and it brings fellowship with God. And so if you look at the screen behind me, uh, you'll see that John highlights the first of three evidences of genuine fellowship with God, which is the genuine believers stick with the truth of the apostles' teaching. John moves on this week, the second evidence of genuine fellowship with God, which is behavior, obedience, and light. And then finally next week with Ben, we have love, where we relate to one another. So wonderfully, we have these three themes of the book, truth, light, and love, all being woven into the first three sermons of the series. Now, because John is quite confusing uh, structurally to break down, I thought it might be just a good idea to briefly just show my workings out of how I've broken down this passage 
this morning to us in order to help those of you in life groups that would be looking at this and discussing this in our groups. Now, what we first see in the passage is the phrase, if we claim. And it's mentioned three times in the passage, verse 6, verse 8, verse 10. And as we read them, we can see that these false claims made by those that have left the church have a really negative result. Verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with God but walk in the darkness, we lie. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. But in the other verses in between them, we find counter claims and their associate results. And so in verse 7 and 9 and chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, we have John's truth claims with the associate positive results. Verse 7, if we walk in a light, we have fellowship with God. If we confess our sins, verse 9, he forgives us. And chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, don't sin. But if you do, we have an advocate and an atoning sacrifice through Jesus Christ. Now, there'll be some keenies out there who will say that, actually, what about verse 5? You've missed it out. Well, verse 5 is the headline, the overarching statement. It's like a gospel summary. God is light. And then that's fleshed out into those verses, uh, preceding verses after that. And for today's message, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break the passage into two points. By firstly focusing our attention in walking in the light, and then I'm going to combine false uh, claim two and three for our second point that focuses on the importance of acknowledging sin in our lives. And so... If you're not in a life group and you switched off for a bit there, this is the time to come back as we look at our first point this morning. Fellowship with God means walking in the light, verses 6 and 7. Let me read verse 5, the gospel summary for us, and you follow with me. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So light in the, in the Bible is a picture language word that has two meanings about God's nature. Firstly, uh, light talks about God's presence with his people that had the function of illumination and guidance for them. But secondly, God is light is used to depict his perfect moral righteousness and flawless holiness. And I think both meanings are being used here to tee up what is going to come in these preceding verses. And as we look at this verse, I guess the second part of the verse, verse 5, is obvious, isn't it? Light and darkness do not go together. And so when I come home from Nexus on Tuesday night, when I come into the house, the first thing I do is I switch the lights on. And as soon as I introduce light to the room, the darkness is no more. You can't have the two coexisting at the same time. The darkness must flee. The light reveals things to us. And last week we heard about a revelation from God that wasn't vague or hard to fathom or philosophically obscure. This revelation from God was in the form of a person. Someone John saw and heard and touched the Lord Jesus Christ who came to reveal God to us, to show us how to live. But also the statement, God is light in him, there is no darkness at all, means that God is perfectly good, perfectly pure. It means there is no evil in God. He never does or thinks or says anything wrong. He never has mixed motives. There's no capacity to tolerate evil in God. He can't bear it. Light in this moral sense has the capacity to expose up things as they really are. And when we know this, we can see the personal implications of claiming to be fellowship in fellowship with a God as this, a God of light. 
I remember one time uh, when the bulb in the bedroom uh, blew and all I had in the house was this 40-watt bulb, which are rubbish, aren't they? I don't know what's the point of a 40-watt bulb, to be honest, because when I switched it on, I still couldn't see my clothes in the wardrobe. Now, for most people, I imagine that that would be frustrating. But for me, who shares a wardrobe with a tall eight-year-old daughter, it's a complete different problem. But I guess with the energy crisis that more and more of us will be having to use and live through the hazy fog of the 40-watt bulb, uh, just to pinch those pennies. But you know, last week I discovered that the sun is 10 to the power, 25 times more powerful than a 40-watt bulb. That's 10 with 25 zeros on the end of it. If that's the sun's power over a bulb and it still has dark spots, then I wonder how many more times powerful is the God who created the sun, who has no dark spots at all. He is morally perfect. He is absolute in holiness and purity. And like my heart and your heart, where the light of the gospel can shine and expose the pockets of sin that might be there, that we've allowed to, to go on um, unchecked. God in his character and nature possesses no moral imperfections whatsoever. Which leads us to verse 6. It says this. If we claim to our fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now if I'm walking down this road uh, with one of you and it's a hot summer's day, and because it's frankly the first day of sunshine in Wales for about a year, I opt to walk in the shady bit of the street because I'm just not ready for that heat. But if you opt for the sunny side of the street to enjoy the sun, maybe top up the tan, but if we do this, then we are no longer walking down the street together. And the same goes with God. If he is the light and I walk in the darkness, means that I'm continuously and persistently walking in sin, moving in sin, cultivating a lifestyle in sin. Maybe making light of it and saying that sin doesn't matter. Then for all the claims I'm making about having a relationship with God, well, it's just fake news. John the author wants us to be sure to be certain of our true fellowship with God. And so if anyone who says that they have a relationship with God but habitually walks around in sin, then he says they are a liar. Now clearly John here is talking about the false teachers who later on in the letter makes it plain to us that they make light of sin. But if you're anything like me, you send straight away a difficulty with this verse because John's aim is to, is to build up confidence to build up assurance in the, in the true believer. But as we look at our lives, we see our own brokenness, our hypocrisy, and the frequency that we do things that God hates. And so the question for us, in all our uncertainty, is what about me? Do I really have fellowship with God? Is John saying, I'm a fraud too? And this is what's so encouraging about verse 7. As it balances out the negative, it's so helpful. Verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is a very helpful verse, as it shows us that whilst God's people walk in the light with us, that they might find themselves going wrong. They flee then back to the cross of Jesus. And we can tend to think about the death of Jesus as being what takes away our sin initially when we come to him for salvation, and that's certainly true. But we also need to stop 
and reflect on the fact that the ongoing benefits of the death of Christ for us, the blood of Christ is capable of cleaning us, cleansing us every time we sin as believers. And so every day, God is working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And so the point is that anyone who sins has no, it isn't, it is not the point that anyone who sins has no fellowship with God, but rather the point is that anyone who walks persistently in darkness, making light of sin, refusing ever to turn from sin, then there's good reasons to question the genuineness of their fellowship with God. But notice with me that the emphasis of fellowship in this verse is with one another. Do you see? Why is this? Why doesn't John just say anything about the, the fellowship with God here? Well, the answer is that fellowship with God is already assumed to be true since John says we walk in the light. And so fellowship among Christians is a sign that we have fellowship with God. This particularly applied to the false teachers at the time who were dividing their followers from, um, from other Christians by claiming that they had this superior knowledge and experience. They didn't regard their unwillingness to value and love other Christians as sin. They minimized and excused it. Indeed, they positively justified it on, on the grounds of their extra insight. Nevertheless, as John is to teach us several times over the course of this letter, no one can truly love God without loving others. He's implying here that as a Christian who lives in God's light, we, should find, we shouldn't find it difficult to walk together in fellowship. But when we do, then someone in that relationship is always, already walking away from fellowship with Christ. This doesn't mean that we will always get on with everyone all the time. However, it's about loving one another and valuing each other. And so if we disagree, we agree to differ without severing the ties that bind us together. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Fellowship with God means walking in the light. The false teachers were walking in darkness, but claiming to walk in the light were actually redefining sin and, and failing to convict themselves in their own lives. Which brings us now to our second and final point this morning. Of those two remaining false claims together, we, as we look at them together. Fellowship with God means acknowledging our sin. Verse 8 to chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. If the image of walking in verse 6 and 7 was used to describe a habitual lifestyle, a persistent journey, then we can see that the next two false claims in verse 8 and 10 actually stem from the first ones and are both dead ends in the journey. So the first dead end is the denial of our sinful nature in verse 8. Let's have a look at it together, verse 8. Follow me. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The claim to be sinless in itself is evidence that we are walking, that we are not walking in fellowship with God. Walking with God in the light means that our lives are continually being searched by his truth. So we begin to realize how many marks of sin that we have within us. And as the light, God's light shines from scriptures into our heart, we see how far short of God's standards we fall and how far we have strayed away from his path. There's a story told of a man who walked past the watchmaker's shop every morning as he went to work in the factory. And each morning, he would get out his watch and he'd set it by the clock in the clock watcher's shop. That's very hard to say. His watch wasn't a very reliable watch as it lost 
time every evening. And so he had, he had to adjust it every morning. And this was important to him because his job was the timekeeper of the factory. So at 4 p.m. every day, he would, he would ring the factory bell to change the shift. So every morning he took his watch out and he adjusted uh, to the clock in the watch shaper's shop. <laughs> Watchmaker's shop. Now one day, uh, the watchmaker saw him do this. And so he went outside to speak to him. And he said, I noticed that you always stop outside my shop and you set your clock to my watch. My, your watch to my clock. <laughs> he said, yes, that's right, said the man. I'm the, time, I'm the timekeeper of the factory. And every day at 4 p.m., I need to ring the bell uh, for the shifts to change. You see, my watch isn't very reliable. And so I use your clock in the shop. And the watchmaker says, I'm terribly sorry. I, had to, I hate to tell you this, but my clock isn't very reliable either. And every afternoon, I set my clock by the bell that I hear in the factory. <laughs> and so if our standard for moral goodness is one another, and we calibrate our standards to each other, then as long as I'm doing well as you are, or as long as I'm doing as well as you project that you're doing, or as long as I project how well I'm doing, as you project how you're doing, then everyone is happy. But if I measure myself by the God who is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, then I cannot claim to be without sin. If I say that I have no sin, if I say that sin doesn't matter, well, I'm deceiving myself about God's message. And I'm deceiving myself, and the truth is not in us. Because if the truth was in us, then it would shine into us and show us that we have a real problem. So the first dead end is the denial of our sinful nature. We have sin. Whereas the second dead end is the denial of our sinful actions, the things we do that come straight out of the sinful nature, verse 10. And verse 10 says this. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Here John moves from the inward principle of the sinful nature to the outward actions of sin that confirms its existence. Our actions show that we're re- what we're really like on the inside. And to deny we sin makes God out to be a liar. And yet this happens all the time in our culture and it affects our church too. Adultery becomes just an affair. Theft becomes helping yourself to the perks. Selfishness is standing up for my rights. The last thing human beings will admit is that we sin. And it's very easy to believe in our own PR, isn't it? Very easy to believe my own PR. A general internal airbrushing that glosses over things and that constant justification of our actions. We're experts in it. But if we believe that there isn't anything fundamentally wrong with us, then we deny the central truths of the gospel. We accuse God of libel and we accuse him of being a liar. So we've looked at the dead ends that the false teachers claim. But what are the ways through back to the light? Well, in verse 9 and verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2, show us that they are based on divine nature and divine action. So firstly, verse 9, the way through, the acceptance of his divine nature, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing verse this is. What a wonderful way forward. The answer to denial is confession. But you might say, hang on now. Hang on, John. You said that God was light and there is no darkness in him. How then can I confess to him that I have darkness? How can we possibly have fellowship together? We've also said that if I confess my sins to him that he is 
faithful and just to forgive sin. How does that work? Because it sounds like you're saying that if I confess to him my darkness, then he'll just say, oh, don't worry, I forgive you. It sounds like you're saying that God will deny the truth about himself and just brush sin under the carpet. Isn't that what the false teachers were claiming in their own counseling sessions? Marginalizing sin and by saying, don't worry yourself about sin. God has got a love and so he'll turn a blind eye to that. And that's a great point. Well, the answer is that there is another way for sinful people to come before a holy God without lying or pretending to be better than we are or redefining sin or reducing the divine nature of God. And that's who Jesus Christ Verse 9 confirms to us his divine nature, that he is faithful and just. God is faithful to his word, which is the expression of his nature, that we will forgive all those who truly repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. He won't reject anyone. But God isn't just faithful, he's also just too. And so we can't just brush our sins under the carpet, they have to be dealt with. But instead of his justice falling on us, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, then his judges gavel already has landed on Jesus. Jesus took the penalty on the cross for our past, our present, and our future sins. The fact that the penalty was paid for us by Jesus means that God cannot demand a second payment. And so the justice of God requires him to act in forgiveness towards us because the debt has been paid. In fact, it'd be unjust for him not to do so. But secondly and finally, the way through the dead end to the light is through the acceptance of his divine actions in chapter 2 verse 1 and 2 let me read it my dear children I write this to you so that you will not sin but if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world John's reason for writing to them was so that they wouldn't sin. And the blood of Christ destroys the attractive power of sin over us. When we're faced with sin in front of us, we are to turn our gaze away from that to Jesus, to our Saviour. And when we remember how we, he was slammed to the floor, that he was trampled underfoot, that he was hit in the face, that he was nailed and speared to the cross... When you look at him dying for you, you realize you have an unlosable love. An unlosable love that was paid for you by incredible cost. I mean, when we think about it, what was the thing that held him to the cross? Was it the nails? Was it the chains? Was it the cords? It wasn't any of those things. It was his love for you. And his love for you was so strong that it withheld hell itself being poured out onto him. The blood of Christ destroys the attractive power sin has over us. But you see, the assumption in this verse is that we will fail at times as we react too slowly to the gaze at our Savior and we fall into sin. But you see, the same blood that keeps us from sinning is the same blood that cleanses and restores us back to the light. And so if he took hell itself for us, Do we think that our inconsistencies, our coldness, our failures, our sins are going to wear out his love for us? No way. No way. Now, it really baffles belief that anyone would settle for the fake of false teachers then and Christian leaders today. 
when the real and true news of the gospel is so amazing. Well, instead of going to the false teacher or the liberal church leader for counseling this morning, who say, you don't sin, your sin doesn't matter, God will overlook that kind of thing, instead of going there, let's go to the Lord Jesus in his counseling room. And as we go in, we see him in front of us. See how beaten up he is. We see his body, the sufferings that he went through. And as you look towards him, you see the nail prints on his hands. They appear deeper and uglier than they had before. And you realize more deeply than you have before the cost of your sin. And you say, I'm so sorry, Lord. And as you crumple under the weight of it all, you feel his rough hand come under your face. And he says, I paid for it. I paid for it. Come on. We have a lot of work to do, you and I. Walk with me in the light. Because I know where this journey is going to end. There's no more pretending anymore. There's no fear of being exposed anymore as a fraud. I mean, even that is not great news. Fellowship with God means walking in the light. You can walk in the light this morning. No matter where you are with the Lord. Because verse 2 tells us that he died for the sins of the whole world. And so that must include you. Don't hide from him. Fly to him. Fellowship with God means acknowledging your sin. You know, it's not until we see the size of the debt that we'll know the size of the payment. It's not until we see the size of the problem that we see the size of the solution. It's not until we see just how in debt we are will we ever appreciate the incredible riches that have been put to our account. This really isn't fake news, but the greatest news in the whole world. Let's pray. Father God, we are sorry for those times in which we downplay our sin or hide it. Or worse, when we imply that you don't mind and so we change the very gospel about you. But Father, you are a God of light. In in you there is no darkness at all. And so we want to come to you with our sin and confess them to you. We seek your forgiveness and cleansing that has been made available to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you reassure us that as we confess them and leave them at the cross, that they are dealt with by a faithful and just God. And through Christ, we can come into the light and enjoy fellowship with you and one another as we journey to the destiny together. Amen.